Welcome to the Development Podcast, a podcast jam-packed with fantastic advice on professional development from interviews with renowned authors, speakers, industry professionals, and influencers. I'm your host, Marty Manosalvas. Thanks again for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, So within these past couple of weeks, many of the requests that I've received have revolved around how to communicate in a manner that influences others. And whether you're, you know, pitching an idea to your team or working on closing deals and sales, or even, you know, just sharing about your company mission with others uh, to get others on board, I think everything revolves around strategic communication. And when used correctly, I think that it can really make all the difference. I recently heard a really great TED Talk by Keisha Brewer, where she describes strategic communication as communicating with purpose while showcasing value in order to achieve a goal. And although it may, you know, sound sort of like manipulation at first, Keisha does a really great job describing, you know, how strategic communication really creates mutual benefit uh, for both sides, for both parties. And strategic communication allows for both parties to feel like they're getting you know, what they want out of a deal. And I love that because I think that brings a sort of a, you know, viewing it as uh, collaboration. Um, And I think that's really beneficial. That would be helpful in the long run when you're trying to share ideas with other colleagues or just with um, people outside of of the company. Uh, So really the question that I'm trying to hit home here is how can we grab people's attention in a way that it creates influence and movement? How can we better pitch an idea uh, where others are going to gravitate towards it. And so today I'm super excited to have Bill Dwinen join us to share thoughts around strategic communications. Bill has held several roles around sales within multiple companies and has greatly proven himself to be a well-rounded sales professional. And Bill is currently part of the large enterprise sales team at Slack and continues to expand his knowledge around sales to better help clients understand the benefit of partnering with Slack. So, Bill, thank you again. I'm super excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really exciting and a great, uh, a great setup. Definitely, uh, um, you know, communication within itself has always been a, a thing to think about. But now with the way in which we communicate being altered, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, be here today. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so can you start us off by just sharing a little bit more about your career story and experience within sales and um, just your journey within that? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's a, it's actually a story I always enjoy talking about because I, I really was the last person anyone think anyone thought would actually be in sales. And so, <laughs> like a lot of people, you you know you start your career after college with something you think is um, what you're supposed to do the rest of your life. Uh, things have changed a lot in the last you know 20 years since I entered the workforce, or you know 16 years, whatever it is. About you know when I first started in the workforce, there was all this pressure that you had to do that first job forever. Right. And my first few years, I was a clerk at the stock exchange. I love that. I love the numbers, the pace, the, the, uh, the experience, and just really wasn't something I, I was really bought into long-term. And then one day, uh, a good friend of mine who I played baseball with in college said, listen, you know, my company is looking for salespeople. You know, I think you'd be really good at it. And I said, no way. I would never be a sales guy because <laughs> you just always picture these like used car salesmen with the old suits on, you know, not being really ethical And he goes, listen, he goes, you know, you have a good personality and a good work ethic. You can learn the rest. And so I think, I think it's really important to share that story because to me, you know, 95% of what makes a salesperson good is traits. 
Mm -hmm. um, your ability to deal with failure, your ability to deal with rejection. Uh, you know, in sales, you can really outwork any problem, right? The preparation, right? Attorneys prepare uh, 12 hours for every one hour in the courtroom, right? I spent four or five hours prepping for a one hour meeting uh, yesterday. So, you know, I think when you look at how people get into sales and how people stay in sales, it is as much attributes as it is a skill, right? And, and so I think what I learned on the journey, and, and when I talk to high school and college kids, I always talk about, you know, when I was in school, uh, and that's what's always fun when I go back and talk to students, is that, you know, one of my biggest fears in the world was actually talking to people and being in front of large groups. And so I, I had some things I had to get over um, when it came to being able to speak in front of large groups, but this, the, the ability to have a good personality and build connections, which will kind of be a theme of what I talk about throughout the course of today, um, really kind of let me find my home in sales. And so I was working, um, you know, at careerbuilder.com, one of the first job boards that really changed the way that jobs were delivered to people and people were delivered to companies. And my career took off because I think it was the culture there that really allowed you room to fail forward, which is really important in sales right. and provided you, I mean, if you look throughout corporate America today, you're going to see really strong salespeople that learned how to sell from growing up at Career Builder. And so, you know, all of a sudden you fast forward, you know, I spent, let me see, I'm counting out loud, you know, 14 years in the human capital space and became an expert in that space. So sales, sales leadership product. And so the, the career journey is not a straight line. You know, it's not like you get an accounting degree and you go be an accountant, but I, I think for, for sales, um, what makes people successful. And I think why it's been such a great career for me that I can't anticipate myself ever leaving is you just have the right traits for it and you're wired for it. A, a lot of the reasons why, um, you know, sales companies like athletes is the ability to deal with failure or the, um, you know, obsession with practicing your craft because, you know, people forget that you, you have to, you have to practice, right. You have to role play and, and things like that. And so, um, I would say my career is not a straight line. It was, it was kind of like I ended up in sales, but mm -hmm. I think it was a perfect fit for me and I was a perfect fit for it based upon just attributes. And what I always tell people about sales is that, you know, it's like pushing a car downhill. And if you have a good work ethic, you can really outwork any problem you have in sales. And so don't get me wrong. It's completely a craft, right? The art of communication, the art of negotiation, um, being a wordsmith with the way that you word things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the attributes were a really good fit for me. And, um, you know, it's funny to think about that I was afraid to talk to people and afraid to make a cold call. And I've done anything as big as over a thousand people uh, presentations to companies like New York Life and um, even larger groups of students. And so it's been a, a heck of a journey. And I think the last thing I'll say is that, you know, Career Builder was an amazing place to grow up. It was one of the first you know, companies with ping pong tables and vending machines, but, you know, getting to pivot into this tech space with a few years at LinkedIn and Slack technologies has really, has just been amazing. I mean, I think when you're in sales, like sales is sales, but when you pivot from the human capital space into actually technology, it opens your eyes to this like whole new sales cycle. And so I feel like my first day at Slack was the first day of this next step in my sales career. So I had, you know, 15 years in the human capital space. I succeeded. Um, even at a higher level, it's more of a transactional sale. Right. And so I feel like at, you know, 16 years into my career, that, that July 6th was the, the first day of this next journey in my sales career. And it's just been reinvigorating because you're learning, you're growing, you're not just challenging your skill set, you're challenging your mental toughness, you're challenging... Mm -hmm. 
uh, rejection. You know, you're challenging your persistence. And so it's just been, uh, it's been great. You know, it's been reinvigorating. And I think you have to look at your sales journey as uh, different chapters. It's really cool. Thank you for sharing. And kind of going off of your experience at Career Builder and some of the things that you learned there and were able to pick up and apply at Slack. Um, when it comes to, you know, sharing your company mission with others, what helps you do that effectively? Uh, and I guess in a way that really gets others on board, whether that's other employees or clients in a way that it creates influence. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, what's, what's really interesting about sales and mission and vision and even the art, of the art of communication within itself is that you have to learn how to communicate things in a way that people care about in a manner that speaks to them. Mm-hmm. And so what I've started to do at Slack, and it's a big, big thing we do, is that as our conversations evolve with clients, we start to build out uh, a mission statement, a vision for the partnership. And what I found to be really interesting is like version one is very generic because you don't know much. You know, after a few meetings, you're like, wow, we actually have a vision for this partnership that truly aligns your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, the reason why I tell you that story is that, you know, the best way to actually communicate Slack's mission is to ensure that it actually aligns to what the client cares about. You know, things like Career Builder, things like Slack, things like LinkedIn, they can mean a million different things to different people, mm-hmm. especially a technology like Slack that can do so much. And so, you know, you cannot go in with the same mission and vision. You really have to um, do your homework, do your prep work, do discovery calls, do chair sides, and figure out, you know, what does Slack mean to Ford Motor Company? What does Slack mean to Boeing? Uh, what does LinkedIn mean to Macy's? What does LinkedIn mean to Pfizer, right? So when, you know, when everything happened with the pandemic, all of a sudden Pfizer was coming to LinkedIn and, and all these different uh, pharma companies for scientists. And so, you know, I think when you look at the best way to, to communicate mission and vision is you have to make it fit to what clients care about. Now, if I'm speaking right. in an event in front of a thousand people, you can be very generic. But I think that the successful salespeople that can get in the door is they're able to align a mission, a vision, a product, a value statement, not just to what you can find in a 10K, but the two or three priorities that clients have, right? So when, when I'm meeting with clients, you ask like, hey, what are two or three priorities going in the next year? What are two or three things that have to happen um, to hit your revenue numbers, you know, to grow as a company, to keep your stock, you know, shareholders happy? And so... You know, I think that when it comes to mission and vision, you know, yeah, of course, like Slack's goal is to make people more productive, right? But that's way too generic to get meetings with executives. And so you really have to, um, especially in this crowded space we're in with Slack and Teams and in Google is that everyone uses words like productive collaboration. So I actually try to do my part to not use those words and make sure I speak the same language as Ford, as Boeing, as Caterpillar, as John Deere. And so like a lot of things around communication, it really comes down to your ability to take a mission and vision and frame it in a way that clients care about and speak to them in a manner which resonates. It's really good. So when you're identifying that, when you're identifying what they really care about, how to tailor this best to them, how do you identify that? Is it just through asking questions that do your own research? Yeah, one of my, uh, one of my, one of my mentors, a, a good friend of mine uh, who's really impacted my personal and professional life said, you know, you learn nothing by talking. And so, yeah, I think it's a few ways to learn. Number one, you ask good questions, right? The ability to ask. And I think when people get into sales, they think they've mastered the art of asking questions by asking one. But (laughs) than a doctor, it's that second, third, fourth, fifth layer question 
that really helps, whether it's in the pre-sale process with discovery or in negotiation, right? And so whether you're negotiating, closing a deal or trying to align to a client's business, it's the ability to um, not just, you know, ask good first layer questions, but second and third and fourth. And I think, you know, I don't really reference books a lot. I like to read, but I think people just throw out too many recommendations. But the, the book, The Tipping Point, really changed my sales career and trajectory because it really allowed you to take a step back and, and, and build a 360 strategy of like, I have my coaches, I have my influencers, you know, I have a coach within certain companies now that's like sharing screens with me and sending me internal emails. And, mm -hmm. and so I think you learn how to gather information from obviously your like, you know, your non-face-to-face research, 10Ks, earnings calls, become a shareholder, but then really developing an understanding of organizations. And, right. you know, when I was 25 cold calling small businesses, um, you know, there was like 10, 15 people, uh, companies, you know, I've over the last 10 years, I've worked with, um, you know, JP Morgan Chase, New York Life Insurance, uh, Johnson and Johnson, Boeing, these large, large complex companies. And so you really have to understand each business line because companies like Johnson and Johnson and IBM, they have sub companies, you know, um, underneath them that are bigger than some fortune 1000 companies. And so you got to do your homework and your research, but you also can't just stare at 10 Ks all day. You got to find coaches, influencers, and in ways to understand the organization through talking to people. It's really good. And the idea of asking questions, that's, I didn't think about it that way of how important it is to do that and how easily we can um, kind of feel very confident just by asking one question when in reality, that's how we're going to, to really learn where people are at. That's kind of how we're going to be able to tailor things differently. Yeah. I mean, in one of the most powerful lines in sales is here's what we heard. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you actually can recap things that you've learned, you get people's attention. And when you're going to close a deal, you're not saying, you know, Hey, Bill, I want to follow up on the contract. You're saying, Hey, Bill, last time we talked, you said that these three things were critical to hitting your sales goals and your numbers. Um, you know, let's talk about that versus let's talk about a product and, and things like that. Right. It's awesome. So I recently received um, a really great piece of advice as I was preparing for an interview, um, and it really changed my perfect, uh, like my view on just communicating itself. And um, one of the things he said was that a common mistake that people make when preparing for, you know, let's say an interview, is over preparing. Yep. And he, he shared how you know when you over prepare, you know, kind of have scripted answers on the back of your mind as to why do you want to work for this company, um, or you know what are some of your, you know, big, where's your skill set at, you know, having these scripted answers on the back of your mind. And when a recruiter goes on to ask you a question, you try to tie in your answer to fit the question. And then it's a little bit messy. You don't end up answering the actual question. Um, and people can easily recognize that um, instantly, you know, you have something scripted. And I found this advice to be, um, to help very well as I was preparing for an interview. And I kind of, have seen this in, in the past when I was doing door-to-door -door sales, how I can easily have things on the back of my mind. So what are your thoughts on, you know, scripted answers, over-preparing when it comes to, you know, communicating in sales? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And it's a really great learning for you at this phase of where you are. You know, I think a lot of people don't learn that until they, um, you know, are, are in the workforce for 10 or 15 years. I mean, listen, I'm a preparation freak. <laughs> and a lot of that is, you know, I, I've ran the last few Chicago marathons because number one, I do it through charity. Number two is I think that training for a marathon teaches you a lot about life and whether it's like pushing through failure, right, or pushing your point to a point of failure and getting through it, 
or it's, you know, the day you show up for the marathon, you're like, I'm ready because I prepared. There's nothing you can do the day before, you know, it's what you did the four months prior. And so, you know, I think when it comes to preparation, you have to learn how to do a few things. Number one is prepare, right? I prepare my discovery questions. I prepare my talk tracks. I, um, you know, script out my first three or four questions, but I know from there I have to listen and be agile. But you also, you know, I did this maybe seven or eight years ago uh, at my desk in New York when I was in New York is I wrote these two letters down next to my desk and it was uh, T and Y. And that served as a reminder to trust myself, like trust yourself, right? Because you have to prepare, but you have to get to a point where you say, okay, I'm ready. And I trust my preparation and I'm ready for anything. You know, preparation means you're ready for anything, not just that moment, right? And so I think what happens, especially coming from someone that's interviewed probably a few hundred people over the last 10 years, as you can tell, you know, you can tell when things are scripted and it feels like someone's in a beauty pageant reading an answer. And it, it just, it's, you know, I think a big part of being in sales is the ability to just be a human being, you know, there's no perfect answer. And I think when I look at my last few interviews um, to get the job at LinkedIn, or I got promoted fairly quickly into leadership and, and getting this amazing opportunity at Slack is that the feedback across the board was like, wow, you were incredibly prepared. They were like really amazed with how prepared I was, but I was also prepared for anything because half the questions they asked me, I, there was no, there was no uh, warning shot and you can't prepare for anything. So it's more of like, what I would do for interviews is like, what's my story? How do I tell it in a relevant way to what the job's about? And then how do I actually get ahead of any objections they might have? Right. And so I think like any sales meeting, I try to incorporate any objections that companies might have into my pitch and same thing with interviews. And so I think there's certain things from a foundational perspective you can prepare, but one of the most powerful things that to have is trust in yourself and trust comes with preparation, right? If, if I always think about that, I think there was two meetings in my tenure that I thought went horrible, right? I've ran a lot of meetings, like, you know, 30, 40 meetings a month. And when I say went terrible, it was more how I felt. Um, the outcomes were good. One, I was underprepared. I was fairly young in my sales career. Um, and the second one, I was overprepared because I think what happened in the one that I was overprepared, I wasn't the person that clients like. You know, I, I wasn't um, passionate. I wasn't, um, I didn't own the room. I wasn't inquisitive. I wasn't asking as many questions. I was so worried about a script. Um, you know, we're so worried about getting certain feature, you know, product features across. And so I think what happens if you overprepare, you lose at the core of who you are, right? So like preparation is really key, but you have to get to a point where you can look in the mirror and say, I'm ready and I'm going to trust myself. And, you know, I talk a lot about, um, you know, failure and failing forward and failing fast. And, you know, there's, there's no question you're going to get wrong, you know, uh, what I what I loved about Slack and LinkedIn is is you truly felt like the interview process was to get you in, to see if it was a good fit, to see how you qualify, not to force you to fail, not to trick you, you know. And so I think those interview processes made it made it really um, comfortable just to be yourself. And so the, to net it all out, you know, what I would say is that preparation is really important. Um, you can't prep for anything. I think there are certain things like I'm very big on earn the rights, like what we're, why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. I'm really big on, you know, scripting out my first four or five questions. 
um, making sure we walk away with three or four actionable next steps. But you get to a point when you're like, I'm ready. I trust myself and I'm prepared for anything. Because if you over-prepare, you're most likely going to lose who you are. And that's what people look for. And if you lose that, you're not going to come across as organic and your personality is not going to come through. And I think I fully agree with that. You know, people can recognize that instantly and what they really want is to know who you are and um, they don't want something fake to come out. You know, they want the real you. And so you have to have confidence in that. Uh, but kind of going off of that, what helps you to be fully present? Because I think that um, in sales, you know, we're, again, it's a good thing to think about the next move, you know, what to say, what else to sell, how to upgrade, how to respond. But I think to a certain extent, again, it prevents us from fully understanding and listening to others, to clients, to to our teams. Uh, so what helps you to be fully present in the moment? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And gosh, it's, it's such a hard thing in life <laughs> in general, right? I mean, being present is um, something that is, is so hard for us today with all the distractions and you know, I think, and I'm guilty of this too, I think salespeople have to get back to old ways of etiquette, of not messaging during meetings or not having phones on during client meetings. And I think it's just been, you know, there's like a false positive with like being responsive or responding quickly. And so, you know, I struggle with being present in general with all the noise around us, you know, with Slack notifications, email, text messages, uh, Zoom meetings, and sometimes you just get really tired. I, I think when you I think I, I'll put being present in the two categories. It's like everyday life. Um, it's easy. Just focus, you know, one thing at a time. And I went as far as like putting my phone in the other room. And, and um, you know, there's a, a great stat that if you are doing something and you leave that activity, you return with 5% as much focus. So if I'm working on a presentation and I turn my head to check a text that the Cubs just traded Chris Bryant, um, which they didn't. Um, I'll go back with not as much intent. And I, anyone that knows me knows I'm very intense. I'm very purposeful. And so I think it's in your personal life, you just have to have intent and have purpose and um, focus. When it comes to the sales process, you know, for me, I'm in love with the process, whether it's sales, marathon training. I love the chase. I love the process. I love the challenges. And so I think what you have to do is it took me a while in my sales tenure to just be, be able to actually like piece it all together. So if I want to sell company X this product, what are the steps I need to get there? Who has to be involved? What are the things that I actually have to figure out? And what are my possible um, roadblocks or objections? And when you understand the path to close, you're more patient in the steps. Now, I will tell you, uh, one of my mentors um, at Career Builder, one of the most impactful people in my professional life, the biggest thing I did, because I'm easily excited, I get excited so easily. So you would like hear something you would love. Like, oh, we have to hire 1,500 more people next year. And your first reaction would be to lean forward and say you could help. And it's the worst thing you can do, right? Because in your head, you're like money, sales, recognition, gold club trips. Like you, you like hear dollar signs. You can get a new car um, versus being like, Why? You know, where are those people going to sit? What are they tied to? Who cares about them? And so I think once you actually fully understand the process and you learn patience, you're not as reactive to those little, those little things. And you don't fast forward because you can't, you, you know, the sales process, especially in the tech space is so detailed. And if you skip a step or fast forward, you're going to miss something really big. And so, you know, I, I think with me being 
Um, you know, sales, you have to learn to almost be even keel, you know, never get too excited, never get too down. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when you hear triggers, like, you know, yesterday I, I had to catch myself because, you know, a client threw out a pretty good buying signal, but you just like take a step back, catch your breath, ask some more questions and say, okay, great. You know, I'm glad that you're interested in this many licenses. Help me understand the steps to get there versus let me send you a proposal and then I'll go like buy a pair of Air Jordans and celebrate, you know? So I think patience is key, but I, I think when you're, when you're working in these complex accounts, you always have to work backwards. So whether you're looking at your overall annual quota or an account strategy, like I would write down, you know, one year I was on a, on a plane traveling to a client meeting in Vegas and I wrote down my quota on a napkin and then I wrote out how I was gonna get there. Like who was gonna help me, what I was going to sell, what meetings I had to have and when they would happen. And so I think once you have those steps laid out, you're more patient throughout the process, but it's hard. It's hard. And same thing. I, I think the biggest thing I realized is that every trait that I have, all the great traits I have, they have a not so good side, whether it's being passionate or being energetic or being opinionated in um, me being excited, you know, excitement comes across, but the negative side of that sometimes is you, sometimes you don't hear things or you get happy years and you hear what you want to hear. And so um, number one is have a strategy and have an end, like a, a back into a strategy because you'll be more patient. Number two is you just have to really work on it because it's a very meticulous process. You can't skip a step. It's really good. So kind of going off of that, what helps, like there are other barriers, you know, external, um, internally, uh, you know, just emotional barriers when it comes to communicating. And, you know, you mentioning hearing something from a client um, kind of, almost impelled you to, to take action, but you recognize that you did have to have patience. Um, but what are, I guess, other ways to prevent us from letting emotions get the best of us when it comes to communicating? Um, because I think, you know, some of the best communicators know how to manage their emotions and, and know how to, you know, not just react quickly to, uh, to a specific answer, but rather, you know, be patient with it. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, in 2012, again, another influential um, mentor in my life, I was going through this like communication training. And at the time I was, you know, getting promoted every year, winning awards, manager of the year, top five sales rep. And so, you know, what, uh, what happens a lot is when you achieve success, people stop giving you feedback. You know, when you're self-sufficient, you work hard, people just let you run. And so, I went through this communication training and I kind of bombed it. And I think it was one of the, the turning points of my career because um, this executive pulled me aside and said, listen, like communication comes down to confidence, preparation, and less is more, you know? And I, and I think when you, when I look at how my communications evolved in my personal life and with clients, and I think what I love, love, love so much about my time in New York and in New Yorkers is New Yorkers have this way about them to say more impactful things in fewer words, right? So, you know, I, I always forget what year the Gettysburg Address was, but it was that long ago and people still talk about it. It was three minutes long. Uh, the address before that was like seven hours and no one talks about it, right? And so I, I think when you look at communication, it's like, how do I say the most impactful thing in the most straightforward way? And how do I talk to people about things they care about in a manner that resonates with them, right? So like, think about it. Like, think about our daily lives. Like, think about our iPhones. You know, they mean something to everyone. 
they mean something different to everyone. Look at my Peloton bike, right? It means something different to me than it does someone with four kids who doesn't have a lot of time. So, I mean, you know, I, I think communication boils down to really being precise, being relevant. And it's not that you, you know, I'm a very passionate person that, that I don't ever want that not to come across, but you have to learn not to take things personal or to be, you know, reactionary. And I think when I went on this journey from being shy and soft-spoken, uh, when I got promoted to run our office in New York, our leader said this um, in a funny way. They thought I was too nice to be a leader in New York. And what <laughs> that was is that I'm such a nice person and I care about everyone, but sometimes as a leader in that market, you have to be strong and communicate better. And, you know, my first few meetings in New York in 2010 were like, holy cow, welcome to New York. I was getting like eaten alive, you know, um, because people were wordsmiths, they were strong, they were passionate. And so you never want to lose your passion. You just have to be able to not take things personally and pick your spot, you know, listen, 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 and then respond. And, and uh, the, the good friend mentor I was referring to um, was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers for, you know, 11 years. And when he talked about the art of negotiation, he talked about the impact of listening. And when you speak, your words are then more impactful. And so I think you never want to lose the emotion of who you are, but you can't be emotional, especially, you know, in, in sales, you have to learn how to not take things personal because once you let go of that, your communication style becomes great. And I, I think I even, uh, I caught myself the other day and I was like, I think I was a bit too aggressive, <laughs> um, but you do it in a way that's meaningful, right? When you, when you ask for a, where you are on a certain deal or what steps have to be there. And so, you know, I, I think that you definitely don't want to start yelling and screaming at people, but if you remove the emotion of taking things personal and you learn how to communicate in a very pointed way is that it just changes. I mean, I, I learned how to do, um, you know, demos that would take me an hour and 13 minutes, you know, because it would just be two or three things the client really cared about, you know, and same thing at LinkedIn, you know, I sold a few license, you know, uh, deals for our LinkedIn talent insights licenses. And I did it like in 12 minute demos that took me four clicks, you know, versus 60 minute demos. And so I was the kind of person when someone would be like, oh, I got off this like 60 minute demo. And I'm like, what the hell did you do for 60 minutes? Right. Um, you know, it's a show and tell. And so I think when it's either communication, the way you demo things, the way you communicate, it really is relevancy. Um, you know, I don't think they teach this anymore, but I think one of the foundational things that's helped me in communication is FOR. It stands for frame of reference. And that is, are you talking to people about things they care about? And I think the biggest thing mm -hmm. that salespeople fall into is that they reach out to the CEO and they talk to them like they're an individual contributor. You know, they speak at a very low level. And so frame of reference is all about talking to people about things that are important to them in a way that speaks to them. And it goes back to what I said earlier is if you're selling a product, you know, especially within Slack, it means something different to a VP of sales, a CIO, a chief information security officer. And so you can't, you know, frame of reference is, is the way of life of, of making sure you speak to people in a way uh, that's relevant and meaningful. Right. That's really good. And I love the, you know, what you said about just keeping things simple and short at times. And, you know, you mentioned iPhone, even look back at, at Apple. And when that started off, uh, Steve Jobs was doing a really great job as far as marketing it, but he really understood that, you know, shorter sentences, less words, you know, that really will create more and it'll create maximum result is keeping things simple. Um, because that's, 
one of the best ways for others to understand. So I love that. Um, but let's kind of talk about your ex- more in, in sales as far as, um, you know, persuading others and negotiating. What's helped you pitch an idea more effectively? And, you know, how do you really persuade others? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the ability to persuade people really revolves around a few key things, right? And, and I was actually talking to a, a good friend of mine, someone who's become a good friend at work uh, yesterday about, you know, just the the science and the, the mental game of sales. And so, you know, persuasion, you know, and I, I'm, a, I'm a terrible golfer, but I would say that sales is like a golf swing. If you do the mechanics right, the ball goes straight. And with sales, like deals are won and lost in the beginning. They're not won and lost at the end. You know, it's, do you have the right people involved? Do you understand their business? Do you have the right timelines? Do you have, um, you know, budget, authority, need, and timeline, you know, bands, you'll hear that a lot at LinkedIn, you know, do you have those things figured out? And so, you know, to me, deals are won and lost at the, the, the beginning, not the end. As far as persuasion goes, I, I really think this is the mental side of sales is you have to really understand how your decision makers make decisions. Do they want to be told what to do? They want, do they want to make the decision themselves? Do they want to be kind of like persuaded to go a certain way? But I think it really revolves around a few key things. Number one, I mean, it's, it's sales 101, but people miss this step all the time is really understanding your client's business, their needs, their challenges, and what you're solving for. Then when you get to that persuasion standpoint, you know, especially uh, in the world we're in today with just, you know, um, everything being scrutinized in public companies and things like that is that, you know, you have to understand how they make decisions, but you also have to help them understand what's the cost of not doing business, right? So a lot of times you talk about ROI, like, oh, if you buy five LinkedIn seats, you're going to save on staffing firms, you know, um, and that's great. But what's the cost of not going live with LinkedIn, What's the cost of not, you know, um, giving your, your employees a better way to collaborate in a reduction in meetings and emails? Is it turnover? Is it, um, you know, bad morale and culture? So I think, is it like mental health problems? And so I think you have to paint a picture for the cost of not doing business. But I think for me, when negotiating became more fun and persuasion became more fun, it really was understanding the way that your buyers and DMs make decisions. And that's as much as, is how they're wired as people, you know, not just professionals. Um, and so to understand that mental side of like a lot of times what you can do in sales is that, you know, you show them three options and a lot of clients in New York that they wanted to make decisions, but the way in which you position a proposal gets them to go, it's a win-win. Like they do what you want them to do and they've made the decision and what they ended up doing was what was best for their business. You just had to help them a little bit, you know? And so I think that persuasion and negotiating, it all comes back to the ability to understand business, understand your buyer and tell a compelling story, right? I mean, if, if you, you know, again, I, I make sports analogies and I try to simplify them, right? Like if you have a great product and you're a good salesperson, you can get a deal into the red zone, which for football is the last 20 yards before you score, right? Um, but if you don't have a business challenge, a business problem, a cost of not doing business, if you don't understand how to persuade people to take action, that's where sales deals go to die, right? You have a good product, you're good at what you do, you have some good relationships, you can get a lot of deals to stage four in the funnel, but very few go to stage five, 
you know, stage five is more of like, it's going to close and it's the ability to really align to goals, challenges, outcomes, and have the right people. Right. And what are like other things such as like body language, some external things that you can do? Um, how much, you know, does that influence as far as uh, negotiating persuasion? It does. I mean, I think that like in general, I mean, to go back to like persuasion, I mean, you know, during the times, like I remember when I, when I first got to, to career builder, even LinkedIn, I didn't know a lot about LinkedIn, but I had good, a good presence. And my first few meetings in New York, uh, clients were like, listen, like we don't have a good relationship with career builder, but you just seem different. Like you seem excited. You seem passionate. You seem like you believe in what you're doing and that I can actually trust you. And so it goes back to what I said earlier of not losing your um, personality. And so, you know, <laughs> what, what do they usually say? It's like either 5% of, or 10% of what you say is your actual words, right? Uh, the other, the other 90% is nonverbals, like tone right. of voice, eye contact, um, you know, uh, the way in which you uh, can manipulate words to, to give a stronger approach. Like one of the things I tell people making cold calls is, is don't say that I know you weren't expecting my, I, I know you weren't expecting my call. That's a very weak approach. <laughs> say the reason for the call, right? The reason for my call means you have something important to tell me. And so I think being a wordsmith with the way that you phrase things really comes across and, and, uh, and puts you in a position of authority. But I think at the end of the day, um, your nonverbals are really important, you know, passionate, uh, the ability to articulate their business problems and their ability to look at you and be like, hey, this is a person I want to spend the next year with, you know, helping solve our business challenges, you know, the next few years. And so nonverbals are really important. And also I think what happens is that, you know, with persuasion, what I've learned on the technology side is that you almost have to um, provide some reassurance. Like you have to reassure them that, this is not going to fail. You know, let's talk more about what's going to happen in the next two years versus the product. Right. You know, and so I think the nonverbals are really important um, when it comes to persuading. And listen, whether it's, you know, I was looking at some of the things we talked about before um, today, like ways to connect with others, ways to uh, persuade people. You know, we, we would talk in this language at Career Builder. It was pain, story, solution. What's the pain? How have I helped someone else and what's the solution I can offer you, right? And so I think storytelling is really important. And what I found really interesting is that, um, you know, in New York, everyone always wanted to know what everyone else was doing and be the coolest person. And so you have no idea that like being able to say, hey, you know, JP Morgan, um, you know, Bloomberg is doing this or, or J&J is doing this. And so um, that was a way to really get people to... Um, want to be with the cool kids, you know, to upgrade from the flip phone to the iPhone. Um, but it goes back to what I said earlier, is that understand the personality of your buyers and, and non-verbals and, and interviews. When I interview people, it's like eye contact, handshake, presence. Um, you know, you can prepare for a presentation for hours. I don't, when I interview people, it wasn't as much about the presentation. It was their non-verbals and their presence, because that's what you look for. It's oh, really good. So as we begin to wrap this up. Um, I wanted to end with a really great uh, quote that I recently heard on communication and on leadership. And it was by uh, Dave Ferguson. Um, the great leaders who create movement and change the world are leaders who discover how to communicate at a different level than most of us. Um, and I love that a lot because um, he goes on to emphasize how that sort of different level 
most of us, it's not necessarily um, those that are extroverted versus introverted, but rather it's just a you know completely different way of of um, connecting with others and communicating with others. So, I wanted to hear your thoughts around that quote, and you know, what are some things you've witnessed that have worked effectively? Yeah, it's a, I was it's such a great quote, and uh, I've been very fortunate to be around just amazing communicators. And, and you mentioning Steve Jobs, if you ever want to watch one of the most powerful communication pieces in the history of the world, watch him roll out the iPhone to the world in like seven words. <laughs> I mean, it, it just was amazing when he literally showed a picture of an iPod, a phone, and then the iPhone and people just went nuts, you know, and you know, the, the biggest, and this is kind of off topic, but the, I always say the biggest mistake people can do, and it goes back to what I said earlier is that, you know, learning is great, you know, articles and books, but you know, the, the biggest mistake people make is like those articles that are like, do these five things and be like Elon Musk. And you're like, that is not realistic. You know, like it, it's not because people like Steve Jobs and I mean, uh, Matt Ferguson, who was the CEO at Career Builder, And, you know, I had never seen a strong communicator like Jeff Weiner. I mean, he was just, you know, Jeff was just unbelievable at his ability to be transparent, to be calm and, um, you know, what I heard behind the scenes is he was so prepared for all the all hands. And so, you know, I think that quote is so powerful. And I think the things that I've seen with communication, whether it's uh, with leaders I've worked with, it's inspiration, it's clarity, and it's vision. You know, Jeff led a company of 16,000 people. And man, we were all on board with where he was taking us. You know, I would, uh, I got to hear Colin Powell speak about seven or eight years ago, and someone asked him, you know, how do you know if you're a good leader? And his response was, it was people would follow you to the unknown, you know, and I've had leaders that I would follow them off a cliff, a guy like Jeff Weiner, or some of the guys I mentioned at, at Career Builder, and, you know, you get these leaders, it's, it's not just their ability to, to um, sound like a smooth talker or, or be well-spoken, it's you walk away inspired, you know, you walk away, like, you know, when I hear Jeff talk, I want to go, like, you know, do chair sides and help people solve the network gap. Or when I hear Stuart mm -hmm. Butterfield talk, I want to like, you know, go run through walls to help people um, to change people's lives with Slack. And so, you know, at that level, it's just the ability to not just, um, you know, share a vision across thousands of employees, but to inspire, you know, your day-to-day -day salesperson. You know, as far as me personally, you know, as far as the things that I've kind of uh, witnessed, um, it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, a different level is concise, a uh, different level is, um, clarity mm -hmm. is a sales leader. I think my, my best run as a sales leader was when I was in New York, because I think that people knew every day what was expected of them. You know, my father was this like tremendous baseball coach. And I think, uh, you know, a leader, you know, a leader in the community. And I think why people love playing for him in, in college was they always knew where they stood they always knew what was expected of them and they always felt supported. And I think if you can communicate that, people will work, they'll work hard for you. And I felt like my team in New York was the most fun sales team I ever worked with. And there was a good chance they all hated me in the moment, you know, because I was very direct about this is what's expected of you and this is what we're trying to accomplish. But, you know, I think when I look back, I hope they appreciate the time as much as I did because um, I, I think I inspired them to go sell the vision. I led with them, you know, I was out in the field with them. And so I think when it comes to 
um, you know, communicating at a different level, you know, it's two things. And this is where I can kind of wrap is I, I've talked a lot about preparation. Um, I've talked a lot about concise. The biggest thing, especially as people transform, right? I have transformed three or four times in the last 10 years um, with different iterations of how I've grown as a salesperson is you have to get any internal obstacles out of your head. You know, your fear of making people mad or your fear of being wrong or, um, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I don't care what people think anymore. You know, it took until I was 30, 31 or 32 to, to, so when you do that, you're worried about like, what if this person's mad at me? Or what if I put someone on a plan and they hate me? And it's like, my dad used to always say, it's, it's nothing personal, it's just business. And so I, I think that uh, one of the biggest things when it comes to communication that no one ever talks about is you have to remove any internal roadblocks that stop you from being confident. Right. I always say when I was younger, I was like the, and even now, I mean, even being new at Slack and things like that is like, I can still be the calm duck on the water with the feet moving a million miles an hour. And so I think you have to remove And when you do, it's so fun. I mean, when I started to stop caring, when I, when I stopped caring, my tone of voice, my projection, my um, conciseness, and don't get me wrong. I'm very empathetic. I, I, my people would always say I cared about them but you can't go through life communicating, worrying about what the outcome is going to be. Right. You know, you're presenting to a thousand people. You can't worry about the two that might be on their phone. And so I think people need to focus more when they think about communication are like, Hey, what internal obstacles or roadblocks do I have that I have to remove out of my own head to be strong and be confident? Because I truly believe that there's a correlation between strong communicators and concise con communicators and very, very confident people, you know, not arrogant, but confident. There's a big difference. Absolutely. Well, Bill, thank you again so much for your time. Your thoughts around communication have been incredibly helpful to hear. And so thank you for that and all the best to you. Uh, viewers, if you have any questions later on, feel free to contact either of us. But with that, thank you everyone for listening and have a great day. Mm -hmm.